Why don't you take your Bibles, turn back with Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm, I really am going to cover verse 6 through 20 tonight, if the Lord permits. And you say, well, why are you covering so many verses? Well, verse 6 begins what Bible scholars call the taunting song of Babylon. Now, you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, I'll show you in just a minute as we read the passage. But it uh, really is a song that starts at verse 6, runs through verse 20. And it has five stanzas to the song. And the five stanzas begin with an admonition, woe. And so there's five woes that are given in this song. And they speak against Babylon concerning Habakkuk's complaint at the end of chapter 1. Because remember, at the end of chapter 1, he used an analogy that Israel, if God allows Babylon or the Chaldeans to come against Israel, that Israel will be like fish in a net. And if you remember that, and then in the last verse of chapter 1, Habakkuk asked this question, and if you'll let me paraphrase for time's sake, he said, how long are you going to let this take place to whereby we are no longer? So one of the things Habakkuk asked is, how long are you going to let this go on? I mean, if you're going to allow the Chaldeans to come against us as a tool of your grace to try to bring us to repentance, how long are you going to let them do it? Well, this song or this taunting song is God's answer to that question. Because this taunting song is a song that says, as I said this morning, it would be Babylon's sin that would bring them down. And it would be Babylon's sin that would end up being their judgment. And so he begins to lay this out in these verses. Now, I'm going to confess up front. To do this many verses, I'm just going to do an overview of these verses. And you say, well, why are you just doing an overview of them? Well, because, number one, it's what the Spirit of God put on my heart to do. Number two, some of these things I think really is not applicable necessarily to our church. But yet there are things we need to understand and there are things we need to learn. And so that's the reason that I'm going to do what I did, what I'm going to do. So... And, and I know some of you are sitting, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Somebody asked me, said, Preacher, is this the most verses you've ever covered since you've been here? I don't know, but it may be, but I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, but it'll be a lot more than the one verse I did this morning. How's that? All right, so look at verse 6. If you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Shall not all these take a parable against him. And here's where they get this term taunting song. And a taunting proverb against him. And say, Woe to him that increases that which is not his. How long? And to him that ladeth himself with a thick clay. Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee, and awake that shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for booties unto them? 
Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood and for the violence of the land of the city and of all that dwell therein. Let's just stop there. Father, I just pray that you would make some application to our heart as we look at these verses together. And Father, I thank you that, Father, when we cry out to you, Father, you are more than willing to help us to understand your will and your ways. And so, Father, just glorify yourself in what you say and what you do in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, man, you may be seated. Now, I want you to look at the beginning of verse 6. Shall not all these take a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him? Now, when you see that, shall all these, what should be the first question that comes to your mind? What are these? Well, these are the things we looked at in verse 5. The sins that we looked at this morning in verse 5. So in other words, what he's saying is, you remember I said this morning, it would be their sin that brought them down. So what are we seeing here? In other words, their sin will become a taunt unto them. Their sin will speak against them. Their sin will pronounce judgment against them. Now you say, wait a minute, it's God that pronounces judgment. Yes, but God's already said what judgment's going to be. And therefore, their sin will speak against them. And that's what this is talking about. Now, when you get to the middle of verse 6 and on down through verse 20, what you find here is you find God letting Habakkuk know, Habakkuk, listen, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans against Israel or Judah. I'm going to bring them to a place of repentance, but it's not going to last forever. There's going to be a moment in time when Babylon will fall and Babylon will be judged. In other words, God's saying to Habakkuk, I am just, therefore sin must be judged, and Babylon will be judged. And then he lays out these five woes. Now, I want to walk you through these five woes real quickly tonight. I want you to look at the first one, the woe of sinful pursuits. The woe of sinful pursuits. He says, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. Now you say, well, what does that mean? Well, notice the depth of their sin. Babylon was going to increase by what? Pilfering others. By taking that that was not theirs. In other words, they were going to do it in cruelty and in very much in a, in a warlike fashion, but at the same time, Babylon was going to take, no matter what, what was not theirs. Now, here's what the woe is. The woe says this. Woe is to him that increases that, it, that which is not his. So the depth of their sin is their ambition that you saw in, chapter, in verse 5 and their relentless pursuit that we saw in verse 5. So their passion and their desire for those things that they want, not that they need, but that they want, those things will speak against them, and those things will be the first woe that comes against us. Now, he uses another phrase here in the bottom of verse 6. He said, And to him that ladeth himself with a thick clay, now you say, what does this mean? Well, it's a kind of a different language, but here's what it's talking about. It's talking about him that literally builds up by loans or usury. So in other words, him that 
if you will, takes advantage of others. That's what this thick clay is talking about. So not only will, will they pilfer other people's property, not only will they take what somebody else has, but they will also, in the same regard, abuse other people by using usury or exorbitant interest in loans whereby they can accumulate what they want at the expense of someone else. Now, you say, well, preacher, what application are you going to make with us? Well, it's simply this. Have you ever done anything that is to your benefit but yet is detrimental to somebody else? Because that's what this is talking about. And it's very easy for us to, to sometimes not think that we have, but in the deep down in our hearts, we know we have. So in other words, you've, you've went about doing something that you desired or you wanted, and it didn't matter to you at the moment you did it what it meant for anybody else. So let me put it to you another way. If you've gained anything by deception, or you gained anything by misuse, or you gained anything by the abuse of someone else or the hurting of someone else, then guess what? You have sinned in the same light as Babylon. Y'all with me? And so this is what this is dealing with. Now, so you see here the depth of their sin. Now, notice the determination of their sin. God's made a determination concerning their sin. And notice what God tells Habakkuk. Remember, he asked, how long are you going to let this happen? And God tells him, shall they not rise up suddenly? Now, who's the they? They are the people that Babylon increased what was not theirs. In other words, what Babylon came, the people Babylon came against and took from, that's the they. It says, shall they not rise up suddenly, and that shall bite thee, and awake that shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for booties unto them. Now, let me show you two things real quick. Number one is this. God determined that there was going to be the reciprocal judgment that is coming. You know, the Bible says it very clearly. You will reap what you what? So, And so here's what he's saying. He's saying to Habakkuk, listen, Babylon's going to go out, and they're going to take what that is not theirs. And they're going to use usury against others to accumulate their own wealth and their own prosperity. But he said, here's what's going to be the end of it. The very ones they went out against will be the very ones that I will use against them. Now, remember the prophecy of Daniel. All right, you remember the, the statue of Daniel in the vision of Daniel? All right, so Babylon was the first great empire. But what happened? The Medes and Persians came against Babylon and not only took their place, but Babylon fell in the same way they rose. So in other words, in the same way they went against others, Medes and Persians came against them. So they reaped what they sowed. And that's what this is talking about. Now look, in verse 8, he gives the reality of the judgment to come. He said, because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee, because of men's blood and for the violence of that land of the city and all that dwell therein. And God said, this is coming. 
He said, this is the reality of what's coming. Babylon will rise up, yes. And I will use him against Judah, yes. But their sin, their relentless pursuit for what they want will be the very thing that will be their judgment and their fall. And it goes back to what I told you this morning. You'll always find that one day sin will come back to roost. And what was it? R.G. Lee, I think it was, used to preach a message called payday someday. I want to tell you something. There's a payday someday. And for Babylon, the Medes and Persians was going to be that payday. And so this was the first woe. Now, notice the second woe. It's found in verse number 9. And by the way, each three of these stanzas of this song are three-verse stanzas. So look at verse 9. The woe of sinful pride. Not just sinful pursuits, but sinful pride. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetous to his house, and that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Let me show you a few things about this. The first thing is the desire in the covetedness. In other words, what does covetous mean? It means you desire that that someone else has that you don't have. And so Babylon was going to be a people that had this relentless pursuit to pursue their wants. And it didn't matter what the outcome was. It didn't matter who was in their way. And so now all of a sudden he says, Woe to him that coveth an evil covetous to his house. In other words, woe to him that covets something that's not theirs, should not be theirs, and would go out and take what's not theirs so they could fulfill their evil desire. And that's what it's saying. And so now you find this new woe. And Babylon used, listen, these unjust quiring of land to build their own security. Now, here's what's amazing about this. They built a strong and rich dynasty just out of their pursuit for evil. And you say, wait a minute. Preacher, you said this morning, sin will never prosper you. And you said this morning, verse 5 says, they were never satisfied. What can I tell you? That's exactly the truth. Because even though they garnered a great prosperity of great riches from many lands and many people in which they pilfered, they were never satisfied because they could never have enough. And they were always coveting something else. And that's the way sin works. Sin will always want something more, something else. And sin will never be satisfied. And so we find this here in verse number 9. Now, not only do you find the desire in covetousness, but you find the deception in covetousness. Notice what it says, that they may be delivered from the power of evil. Can you imagine the deception? That they're going out promoting and going out and delivering evil, but yet they're doing it so they can feel like they're secure from the very evil that they are. Isn't that amazing? Boy, is that not picturesque of our world today. 
I mean, we think that <laughs> we have, we're clueless today in our world that much of what's going on is evil, and we think we're above evil. I want to tell you something. There's only one time I ever lived above sin. And you say, when was that? When I was lost, I stayed in Las Vegas in a hotel over a casino. Now, I want to reiterate that. When I was lost, y'all say amen. Only time I've lived above sin. Y'all did get that, say amen. I just want to make sure. But folks, listen. It's so easy for us to be deceived about what's evil. Because what's going on in our world today, hardly anybody sees it as evil. But it is. And so here's the thing. They went out and promulgated their evil that they could feel secure from evil. Now you say, well, what did they consider evil? Their enemies. That's what they considered evil. But yet they didn't see themselves that way. And so this becomes the deception of covetedness. Now, but watch this. Whatever you covet that's not yours, just like verse 5, you'll never, ever be satisfied. You'll find it again right here. Watch what it says, verse 10. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house, by the cutting off of many people and has sinned against thy soul. Notice this. Not only the desire and covetedness, but the deception and covetedness, but the disgrace in covetedness. So in their pursuit to feel safe from evil, they brought shame upon their own selves to the point that they sinned against their own soul. Now, you say, preacher, what does that mean? All right, here's what I believe it means. Now, let me tell you what Bible scholars say about it. Nothing. I can't find one Bible scholar that says anything about that phrase. Because, so can I give you my two cents? Because it's the only thing that fits the context. All right, how many of you agree today that God gives everybody a conscience? And so in that conscience, there is a form of moral good and bad within man. In other words, with a conscious man knows there's one greater than they are. With a conscious man knows, even in their lostness, there are certain barriers which you don't cross. All right, so... When it says they sinned against their conscience, here's what I believe it's really saying. I believe it's really saying that they sinned and they promulgated their evil in taking what was not theirs and they did it against the very consciousness to know they shouldn't be doing it. And I believe the result was what we find in Romans 1 because Romans 1 says that when the consciousness and creation cries out there's a God, 
But yet man refused to yield to the consciousness that God gives them and the creation that declares the glory of God that eventually their sin will manifest to the point that God will turn them over to a reprobate mind whereby they will be, their conscience will be seared and no longer will sin ever bother them again. And that's where homosexuality comes in play. And so I believe this is what it's talking about. And so I believe Babylon was a people that in an Old Testament view had come to the place of sinning against their soul, sinning against their conscience, and therefore God turned them over. Now, look fourthly at the distress of covetousness. Look at verse 11. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer. You say, preacher, what in the world is that talking about? Here's what it's talking about. The stone and the beam here are symbolic ways of saying covetousness will cause them to be so gripped with guilt until they come to the place where it bothers them no more that they can never, ever be at rest. Let me give you, give you an example. How many of you agree the Bible says we're to forgive others? All right, the Bible says if we see a beam in somebody else's eye, what should we first do? Get the plank out of our eye. And so the picture is if you've got a plank in your eye, you're never going to be at rest, even if you see a beam in somebody else's eye. And so that consciousness that God would eventually sear would so bother them. And I want you to hear me. But yet in the midst of that, they would continue their relentless pursuits for what they want because what they want had more power in them than what their conscience was telling them not to do. And I want to tell you something, folks. That's what's going on today in our world. Well, I want you to see, thirdly, not only do we see the woe of sinful pursuits and the woe of sinful pride, but the woe of sinful practices. Look at verse 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city with iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts of the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. Now, I want you to see this. Boy, I'll tell you, this is a good truth. You find here a future warning. This woe is a future warning unto the people. And you say, what is it? Well, Babylon would take all these cities by force, by blood. And they would build these cities up for their own protection. 
But yet, here's what God said about them. God said that they're building him up in the very fire. You say, what do you mean? They're building him up unto judgment. So in other words, they're building him up, they think, for their own benefit and for their own prosperity. But instead, they're building him up unto their own judgment. So in other words, every tower that's built, every city that's captured, and every city that's erected, everyone is for their own judgment. In other words, all their work of gaining prosperity, all their work of gaining wealth, all their work of gaining territory, all their work of gaining power, here's what God says about it. It's vanity. It's of nothing. It's void of any benefit. And it's absolutely going to come back to them in judgment. And that's what sin does. People go about living their lives how they want to live them. And they think they're accomplishing something. But yet it's contrary to the way the Lord is directing them or what the Lord wants for them, and they think they're prospering, they think they're gaining, and in reality, every step they take, every decision they make is vanity, will be for nothing. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, and I'm going to be very careful about the statement I'm about to make. But I believe it's a biblical statement. Anything anybody does, church, denomination, country, whoever, individual, anything anybody does that goes against the clear mandate of Scripture, anything they participate in, it goes against the mandate of Scripture not only will God not bless, not only will God not have his favor on, not only will God not use, but God will tell you it's vain and it's of no benefit at all. That's the reason I have so many problems with some of these churches out here. They build their ministries on things that have nothing to do with the Word of God. And I like what Brother Mike said. I think we've fallen at a trap of calling a lot of churches churches when they're not churches at all. Are y'all hearing me say amen? This is what he's saying, a future warning. But notice this, a final warning. Now watch this. Boy, here's, it's almost like God takes a pause and gets a back of a breath of fresh air. He says, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So in the midst of this future warning, everything they're doing is in vanity. Everything they're doing is against God. Even in their depravity, they're doing many things that would seem to hinder the glory of God and seem to go against the glory of God. Let me tell you some good news. When it's all said and done, God's glory will stand tall. And there's not any nation, any people, any group, any sin that's going to take away from the glory of God. I'm glad there's coming a day 
when this earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I'm glad there's coming a day that a lion will lay down with a lamb. I'm glad there's coming a day we won't have to deal with sin in the flesh anymore. I'm glad there's coming a day we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years and it'll be all about the glory of God and not the wants of man. Isn't it amazing how God interjects just a little statement of grace in the midst of judgment? I love how he does that. Well, look fourthly. Look fourthly. The woe of sinful pleasures. Look at verse 15. Woe unto them that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. Let me show you three things. The socializing of sin. You say, preacher, why would you use that term? Let me tell you something. I am not a social media guy. I don't have Twitter, Tweet, Twat, or whatever they're called. I don't have Facebook. The only time I use Facebook is sometimes I'll put something on the church's Facebook, but that's it. I don't have any of those things. Let me tell you why. Because if you want to know somebody's sin, just go to their Facebook page. They'll advertise it. I was at another church, and I was in a church that we had two good singers, and that was it. In other words, I would have been classified as the third. That tell you how bad it was. One of my members walked up to me and said, have you seen so-and-so's Facebook page? I said, no, why? I don't have Facebook. They said, preacher, you need to see it. I said, I don't want to see somebody's Facebook page. They said, preacher, you need to see it because this lady sings solos in our church, and when you see this, you're not going to let her sing anymore. I said, what are you talking about? She had a nine-year-old son. It was his birthday. She asked him, where do you want to go on your birthday? He told her a restaurant that sells wings that starts with a letter H. Does anybody need me to interpret that or you've got it? On her Facebook page was that eight or nine-year-old son on top of a table in that restaurant with the waitresses dancing around him. I went to her. First thing I said to her, what in the world were you thinking? Second thing I said to her is even if you were thinking crooked, why in the world would you advertise it? Her words to me, there's nothing wrong with it. See, here's what it says. 
Their sin became a social event. It spread among others. It wasn't just that they took wine. We looked at that in verse 5. But they impressed it upon others. Whereby, impressed it upon others, they became drunk. And God says, woe. Woe unto them. Well, look secondly, not only the socializing of sin, but the shame of sin. Thou art filled with shame for glory. What does that mean? In other words, how many agree? Babylon, if any kingdom, when they were at the height of their reign, how many agree? If you had asked Babylon... What's your glory? They just said, look what we've accumulated. Look what we have. Look at our territory. Look at our kingdom. Look at our wealth. This is our glory. Here's what God says. You've brought shame against what you thought was glory. You've exchanged true glory for shame. Then he goes on to say, He says, let your foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and the shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. In other words, can I put it to you in layman's term? God's not going to let you prosper anymore. How many agree God in his permissive will will let Babylon come to great power? Y'all agree with that? Well, guess what? God and his sovereign will could stop it at any moment. I want y'all to listen to me. There's going to come a point where God says this is enough in America. You think God can't stop it? You watch. The surety of sin. Look at verse 17. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, the spoil of the beast which made them afraid because of men's blood and for violence of the land of the city and all that dwell therein. In other words, you can be sure of this. Just like the others, this too will come back to roost. This too will be your judgment. Well, let me show you lastly, the woe of sinful praise. Woe unto him, verse 19, or verse 18. What profit the graven image that maker thereof hath graven it, and the molten image that a teacher of lies, and the maker of his work trusteth therein, and maketh dumb isles. Woe unto him that saith unto wood, Awake to the dun stone. Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. Here's what he's saying. Woe unto you for a futile praise. Here's what he's saying. In their idolatry, They're praising idols and are not conscious of the God of Israel. 
and they're speaking to idols. Awake! And God says, wait a minute. They don't have any breath in them. It's wood. It's stone. But aren't you glad we serve a living God? Every false religion in the world serves a dead person. But we serve the only one that got out of the grave. Now you say, well, preacher, this don't apply to me. Oh, don't be so careful. Anything you and I elevate in our life above God is an idol. Anything. And you say, well, I would never bend my knee and praise anything but God. But yet with our actions every day, we do it over and over and over again. Y'all still love me, don't you? A futile praise. But watch, God gives another breath of fresh air. A fearful praise. But. I don't know about y'all. One of my favorite words in the Bible is but. Would y'all agree with that? Say amen. I was dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, quickened me and made me I like that word but. But. Watch it. In contrast to this futile praise of idols, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. What's this word silence mean? doesn't mean don't say anything. Here's what it means. It means to be in awe, to honor, to reverence who he is. So in other words, God is on his throne. God is on his seat of mercy. God is in control. And no matter how many idols, no matter how many false gods come along, here's the reality. There'll never be a time God's not on his throne. So honor him. Be in awe of him. Fear him. Because everything else that we lift above God may give you a moment of fleshly enjoyment here on earth. But when you get to glory, if you get to glory, it will mean nothing. There was a man that I used to play golf with before the Lord saved me. The man was in his 70s. The little town I lived in, this man probably owned half, 
if not more than half of this town. This man lacked nothing. This man had need of nothing from a physical standpoint. This man had a a business on the main street of the town. And yet this man was one of the cheapest, tightest people I've ever been around. You say, what do you mean? Went out to eat lunch with him one day. Guy we was with laid a $10 bill down as a tip. We get to the register. The man said, oh, I forgot something at the table. The man who didn't leave the tip, the man that I'm talking about, went back, and I watched him, and he took the $10 and put it in his pocket. Him and his wife lived in a five-bedroom house off of Main Street. And him and his wife lived in two small rooms in the back of the house, turned the power and everything off to the rest of the house but those two little small rooms. If you walked into his store, all the lights would be out. There would be a bell over the door, and when you opened that door, that bell would go off, and he would run and turn the lights on when you walked into the store. Y'all have the picture, say amen. I said to him one day, I said, what are you going to do with all this after you die? I said, because I got news for you. Wells Fargo's not going with you. See, what he thought was his glory and his gain was vanity, worth nothing. Habakkuk, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Chaldeans are going to come. They're going to kick you out of the land. They're going to take your property because Judah has sinned against me. And because I'm sovereign, I can use a people like that as my tool of grace in the life of Judah. But Habakkuk, don't you ever begin to think that I've looked over their sin. Because, see, I know exactly what their sin is. Their sin will be what causes them to fall. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. Father, I want to thank you for the testimonies that I've heard from this morning. Father, how you stirred mightily in people's hearts this morning. Father, maybe there's folks here tonight that maybe this morning's message is still resonating within them, or maybe something that was said tonight has maybe pricked their hearts, or maybe something that was said tonight has caused them to be awakened to someone in their life, a family member, a friend, who's in trouble. 
yet they don't even know it. Maybe we just need to stand in the gap for them tonight. Father, whatever you decide to do, I give you the praise. Give you the glory. Father, I thank you today that when I was lost, when we were lost, you didn't wait for us to run to you because we didn't have any desire to. But you ran to us. You awakened us. You let us see our need. Then you revealed to us through your Holy Spirit conviction the depth of our need. And in light of that need, we saw the glory of the Lord in the gospel. We saw the glorious provision. In desperation, all we need to say, woe is me, I'm lost. But in your grace, you took a wretch like us and made us sons of a living God. Wow. Father, all I know to say is, wow. I'll never, ever in my fleshly mind be able to understand fully your grace. So all I know to say is, wow. No wonder in Revelation 4 and 5, all they knew to sing is worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Maybe you're trying to awaken somebody here tonight. Have your will and your way in this invitation for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said...